to That's Life. We're heading into cooking for Rosh Hashanah without a planned menu and shopping list is like being an acrobat without a net. And that is exactly how I currently feel. Good morning, folks, and thanks for listening. I am Miriam L. Wallach, acrobat, general manager here at the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm also a juggler, frankly. I'm juggling things. I don't even know what I bought yesterday at the supermarket, but... I don't know. It's going to be a wild ride the next couple of days. You can find me here right after Allison and right before Nahum's live lunch. My weekly reminder, please wash your hands with soap and water. 20 seconds out of your life. You can do it. Practice social distancing. Wear masks. I think that we are all consistently hearing more and more stories about the benefits of wearing masks and how important it is to wear masks and how it's beneficial for everyone. Please Going into the Chagim, let's keep everyone in shul safe. Everyone as safe as possible. Please wear your masks. I appreciate it. My parents appreciate it. My in-laws appreciate it. People in your family appreciate it. Let's go. Let's keep each other safe. I want to remind everyone that Nachum's been announcing Avi Fryer will be joining us during today's live lunch with a magic trick. I know. Those magic tricks are fun. They really, really are. So... 814-353-5064. That is the Zoom ID. Again, 814-353-5064. Password, lowercase j-m-a-m. Avi Fryer, noon today on the live lunch. Don't miss a minute of that program. As you know, I mentioned last week that now, you know, I'm sharing airtime with my Mahutin. This is week two. Let's see if we still get along this week. That's today's live lunch at noon. I also want to make sure to thank everyone who's already given to our fundraiser. Of course, you can go to fjbunity.org. We appreciate all of your support. All of your letters and Shana Tova cards and everything should have arrived in, in the mail. <laughs> should have arrived. There's a lot of background noise here in the studio today. Should have arrived in the mail Um Within the last couple of weeks, we appreciate everyone who's already sent back the remittance envelope. We encourage those of you who haven't to please give what you can. And, of course, go to fjbunity.org. Um, if you'd like to give online, that is also obviously an opportunity. That would be great and be much appreciated. I want to thank um, my friends at Oma's Sushi in West Hempstead. Anybody who thinks that Anybody who thinks that West Hempstead doesn't have food options, doesn't know anything about West Hempstead. It's not all about the five towns, people. It's really not. We drive from the five towns to Oma Sushi. We absolutely love it there, and they're great. They are a pleasure to be with. That is 100% true. The food is great. The prices are great. I was there this week with a bunch of friends. I mean, I can't thank them. I can't thank them enough. The food is just fresh as fresh can be. And, um, you know, they're super accommodating. The food is creative. It's, and it's all so reasonably, reasonably priced. So I have to encourage everyone to head to Oma Sushi in West Hempstead. It's a really fun night out. And, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. We constantly go there. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy. People are like, you live in the five towns. You're going somewhere, somewhere else for sushi. There's, there's no food where you live. No, there's plenty of food where I live. That's not the point. This food is great. Um, also, let's do the national holidays. Let's do the national holidays. Uh, first of all, it is National Ask an Atheist Day. 
National Ask an Atheist Day is today. Now, there is a note on this that um, there's something confusing about the site, that it seems that on the 17th and the 16th and the 19th, it sounds better, sounds the 16th and 19th, the 17th, that they all have conflicting dates, of course, because atheists are confused, frankly. It's National Paw Paw Day, National Professional House Cleaners Day. It is Citizenship Day which is great. Now, happy National Citizenship Day to everyone. Um, it's also National Constitution Day. It's International Country Music Day. Anybody else out there a country music fan? I'm a huge country music fan. Love listening to country music. Very relaxing, ironically enough. Of course, it's all about love and country. Okay, okay. <laughs> but it's, but I don't know. What's going on with the mics here today? Um, but yeah, love country music. It is also National Table Shuffleboard Day. I don't know what table shuffleboard is. I have no idea. I'm sure I'll learn about it when I'm in my 70s, but it's National Table Shuffleboard Day. It's Time's Up Day. I think that's Time's Up for whatever you've been procrastinating. Like all the stuff that I said I was going to do um, while you know, COVID was hot and crazy and you couldn't leave your house. I'm like, you know what? Today's the day I'm going to go through my mother's papers. Today's the day I'm going to clean out the, the, the underneath of my bed. Yeah. None of that happened. Absolutely none of it. <laughs> Today's the day I'm going to clean out the cabinet. That didn't happen either. I've cleaned out my closet a couple of times, but it seems that today is time's up day. It is time's up for everything else. I don't know what to tell you. Your time is up. You're listening to That's Life here at the Nahum Siegel Network. I am joined this morning by one of my favorite people, Ariella Steinrach. She's a senior VP at Steinrach Communications. She is heading their Israel UAE division, and a division I can't imagine Stan Steinreich ever imagined that he was ever going to be able to open. But lo and behold, look what 2020 has brought us. Ariella, good morning. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me on National Country Music Day. It's my favorite day of the year, so I, thank you. I, you know what? <laughs> I timed it for that. I timed it for that. We can we can share our love of country music. Uh, by the way, it doesn't shock me for a second that you and I connect over this as well. But we'll talk about this during, you know, we'll talk about this off the air. Let's talk for, <laughs> uh, I mean, for more than a second, because I'm happy that I have you, like, for the next 15 minutes or so. There are so many questions that I have, and I do appreciate the fact that you've made this time, because this is a very exciting time, not only for Steinreich, but for anybody who's been working behind the scenes in the Gulf region for as long as you have. So start me off. Let's, let's take a step back. When and where was your first trip to the Gulf? Oh, my first trip was years ago. It was actually before I even had come into into the to, you know my father's firm here. I was working at a another PR firm in Manhattan as well, and I was working on um, oil and gas related stuff for a big management consulting company. So that's my first foray into the Gulf. And then about six years ago, November will be six years, I came here and Jewish companies who wanted to do business in the Gulf were looking for somebody who understood them, their brand ethos, et cetera, and who could help translate that. So we, so I started originally working with, you know, secular oil and gas companies in the Gulf and then came here and it became Jewish organizations and companies who wanted to do business there. And, you know, August 13th was the big announcement, and now Israelis can get in on this as well. 
And Friday was the second big announcement, and now they can get in on Bahrain too. And so we're, we're helping companies now based in Israel. Um, we have a lot of companies in the travel and tourism space, education, fashion, real estate, and others who want to do business in the UAE and now Bahrain and vice versa. So it's a lot of exciting opportunities, but it started years ago. And your and the first country. I mean, are you even allowed to share that information? What the first country was that you went to visit in in the, the Gulf? Yeah, the first country was the UAE. Way way back when was the UAE. And since then, yeah. you have been to the UAE. You've been to Saudi Arabia. Yes. <laughs> right. And I've been to I've been to Bahrain as well. Um, yeah. And you're. And I've been to a few others, but those are, those are the big three that everybody likes to talk about. And when right, well, those are pretty big three. Let's be honest with yeah. each other. And when you uh, have to answer all those security questions at Ben Gurion, and El Al looks at your uh, passport and is particularly unhappy with the stamps that you have. Actually, I think in, in, in Ben Gurion, I think they're more excited about it. I have had a couple of situations where I got to these Gulf kingdoms, and I was like, "Ooh, what's going to happen when they see the back of my passport with all the stickers from Israel?" But nobody gave me a problem. It was completely fine. Wow! I have to say, there's what people don't understand about the Gulf is there's a tremendous amount of respect for religion and religious people. It's and what the, the change in the last ten years is that they really understand Israel is a religious value to us so we've seen a changing of the tides already for for a few years so it's funny because my next question was literally going to be what is the biggest misconception that you have found when you tell people that you are working with arabs in the gulf states what is the biggest misconception that people have oh people think it's a dangerous thing my, I think my own mother thinks it's dangerous, to be honest. I know you think it's dangerous. Um, but and no, your mother and I don't even talk about it, but yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is true. Um, but you'd be good friends on this one. People always think, oh, my gosh, you're going to Saudi Arabia. Oh, my gosh, you're going to the UAE. It's so dangerous. It's really not. First off, I think street crime-wise, they have some of the lowest statistics. But, again, I go back to there's a tremendous amount of respect for religion and religious people. So, they, they, they respect and candidly, they celebrate the fact that I keep kosher there. I can't tell you how many times that they've offered me tea and they've said, oh, we looked it up. It's kosher. Like they go their extra mile to check whether it is or isn't. I don't like hot drinks, so it doesn't really matter. But <laughs> the point is, is that they really, really go out of their way to make sure that I'm comfortable. I'll give you a funny story, actually, that happened in Saudi Arabia earlier this year. I ended up having to stay for Shabbos, which was not planned. I was supposed to come home Friday morning. Um, but because of the meeting, it was not going to be able to get home in time. And so the person who, like, the government had assigned to make sure that you know, everything was okay, he had noticed that I was eating whole fruits and vegetables, um, you know, from room service or from the hotel restaurant, and I had brought food with me. And so once it was determined I was going to stay through Shabbos, he came to me before Shabbos, and he said, I noticed that I looked up kosher, I looked up Shabbos, and I know you can't call room service on your Shabbos to ask for whatever food you want. So can you tell me now what you would like and what time I should have it delivered so that you don't have to be in a situation where you can't get the food on, on Shabbos? So, yes, by the end of the week, he was saying Shabbos, not Shabbat. Um, and that, but that just goes to show you the level of care that they took. They wanted to make sure that I didn't have any issue in getting the food. They wanted, you know, he said he would do it even before Shabbos because he knew that it was a problem if I asked him to do it on Shabbos. They were so well studied 
in terms of making sure that I was comfortable. And that's one of the that's one of the things I hope I hope everybody gets to see. I hope everybody gets to experience. I know the Crown Prince in Abu Dhabi really wants Pesach programs already for this coming year. And I hope that you and your listeners, that everybody has the opportunity to go and see just how genuine and authentic this desire is that they have. I, I'm I'm stunned by by so much of the anecdote that you just shared. <laughs> And of course, everybody's been making Abu Dhabi Pesach jokes, um, you know, for a while now. And who, you know, who knows what is going to be a reality? Who knows which way you're going to have to quarantine? And hopefully, nobody will have to quarantine either way by that by that point. Um, but what's what's striking to me is is I I wonder as part of your anecdote, where does being an American fit in here? I mean, obviously there, and I I totally hear how they're respecting you as a religious woman. And I think that that's great because obviously, yes, talk about misconceptions. I mean, I would imagine that you got, that you have gotten a lot of, wow, they must hate you um, being a Jew. So I'm wondering also like, where is the level of respect or is there a level of respect that comes with being an American in, in those areas as well? I'm sure there is a level of that. You know, there's always a desire, I think, from, you know, those countries are going through a transformation on their own. And somebody like me who's been working in that region for so long has really seen the transformation, not just even when it comes to Muslim Jewish or Israel Gulf, but in general, their countries have really made tremendous headway in the last decade. They went from being so oil-centric, where they, they kind of ruled the roost, into wanting to be part of global markets, where they had to work with Westerners, etc. So different trips that I go on with different clients or, you know, different opportunities, some of them are more from the, you know, some of them are, are more at the level of I'm an American going, but some of them are definitely more business to business. And I think what's, maybe this goes back to the miscommunication, the, misconception thing as well is it's there's there's government leaders and everybody kind of knows where the government's you know sentiment is but there's a lot of questions about the pedestrian sentiment right the people you engage with on the street and what i can tell you and i think you've seen this probably even on twitter the feedback Mm -hmm. from some of these countries that the ability to work with jews the ability to now interact with israelis is just remarkable i had a journalist who said this was the first time they had ever been able to call 972 just think about how fundamental that is right never be like the the area the country codes 971 is the uae 972 is israel 973 is bahrain Right. They never could call each other. It's that basic. Or I have, I have screenshots on my computer because I still can't I can't believe it happened. But when you're in the UAE or when you're in Bahrain before, you couldn't access the Jerusalem Post website on one of those in one of those countries. You couldn't access the Times of Israel on the other one. Just think about how basic it is to get like a thing that pops up on your screen and right. says this website has been blocked by the kingdom. I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's it's just amazing, right? Uh, but what's so cool is that now I have those screenshots and I can say I remember when because, God willing, like the next generation, they won't even know that this existed. They they will only know when there was a warming of, of, of relations between the two. So, yes, I'm sure some of it impacts the fact that I'm that I'm American and they want to be able to do more business with Americans. I'm I'm very confident in that. But I think in general, you've seen the Gulf as a whole become much more tolerant of other religions, of other nationalities, and of other cultures as well. There's a necessity to expand, and they are, there's a realization that that expansion has to happen outside of the Gulf, and that opportunities with Israel stand to give them those, those, you know, uh, those highways or those, that infrastructure for growth. And so that 
that need has uh, that need to become global entities as opposed to regional entities overpowers mm-hmm. all of the other stuff and I'm going to use stuff in quotation marks that has prevented this kind these kinds of relationships beforehand and so now once there this bandwagon exists does it shock you how many people or how many other countries are being hinted to as wanting to jump on it as well no it doesn't surprise me and I think it's more it's it's more than hint to be very candid um, you know, those of us who, who have been in this field for so long have already started picking up breadcrumbs, you know, for, for the two that have announced. I think, you know, everybody's talking about Oman being next, but right. I think, you know, we have to talk about the fact like Saudi media has transformed, transformed in the last eight months. And I'll give you a couple of examples. The, the big Saudi daily publication, it's called the Arab News. It's published in Riyadh, which is the capital of Saudi Arabia, but it also is read in Bahrain. It's read in the UAE. It's read all over the, the Arab world. They have done a series of op-eds from U.S. Jewish leaders commenting on various things from religion to even geopolitics. The, you know, the Bahrain announcement happened on Friday. S- Saturday morning's paper, the, there was a huge column on the front page from a U.S. rabbi talking about Bahrain-Israel relations. Think about how what that means. That's a Riyadh paper. There's, I know that there are plans that are, you know, for doing something around Rosh Hashanah in tomorrow's paper. So there's a tremendous amount of movement that we're seeing in general as the Gulf embraces and covers more stories related to Judaism and to Israel. And to the point you made earlier, I think one of the things the Gulf as a, you know, you can't really look at the Gulf as a monolithic body, right? Because there's six of them. And honestly, the six are really very different. So the UAE made the first step. Kuwait will for sure make the last step. And there's a million, you know, gradations in between. But if you take a look at, at what's happened overall, one of the ways that the Gulf states are able to differentiate themselves from other um, states in, uh, from other countries in the area like Iran and, and others is by saying, we are, you know, we are working with others, which is kind of a Western value, right? Mm. So, um, you know, the question we haven't yet discussed, which always comes up, is what's it like to be a woman in those areas? Right. Um, but I can tell you, they, they go out of their way to be very respectful. So if I'm with a client, they'll always obviously greet the client first, but there could be other men in our entourage, and they will always come to me second. And it's, I think it's to show that they respect women and they're not, you know, making us be last or whatnot. Many of these governments now have women who are part of the cabinets. Even even Saudi Arabia, by the way, has has appointed a lot of women to senior positions. You know, recently the ambassador to America is is a woman. So I think that that's it's also become a differentiator for them to differentiate themselves from from other countries in the region to stand out. Fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Yeah. You're listening to that's live here at the Nachum Siegel Network, and I'm joined by Ariella Steinreich. She's senior VP at Steinreich Communications, and she heads their Israel-UAE division. Tell me something. When you first started working in your father's firm, in a, yeah. mil- in a million years, did you think that there would be this division for you to represent? I think I did think it was going to happen at a certain point. You know, when you work in the Gulf, the joke is it's always two steps forward, one step back. So because I came already having experience in the Gulf, and I knew that things just take longer, it was going to be a process, but I think, I think I knew it was it was going to happen at some point. Could I tell you it was going to happen in 2020? Not necessarily, but I knew six years ago. I think many of us knew like it was it was coming. It was just a question of, you know, how far out we were. And I've kind of built the work that we were doing in my practice already, and I, I had our corporate practice. I built it around having a lot of clients in this space. So it was. 
what I like to remind people is we didn't create a new offering when it comes to the UAE Israel practice. What we did is we harnessed the expertise and the knowledge and the people that I have. And I, I, I have to give them credit. It's, I mean, I lead the team, but I have an amazing team that, that works with me. And we're, we all really view this as a mission. It's not a job. It's a mission to bring together businesses and organizations in, in all these countries. And we've kind of set it up so that as soon as the light switch turned on, like it did on August 13th and like it did on Friday, it would be a very easy transition. And, and I'll, I'll give a tip to any of your listeners here. From all the years in the Gulf, what I can tell you is that once you're a trusted brand name, et cetera, in one Gulf state, you easily move on to the next. So wow. any Israeli company or Jewish business who gets in with the UAE, as soon as the light switch goes on for the other, you can, it's, it's like getting six for the price of one. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. You know, we're, we're, we're talking so much about the Abraham Accords and the behind mm -hmm. the scenes, et cetera, and all your take on it. I, I watched a, uh, a clip yesterday from The View where Meghan McCain talks about how she's, sh she's surprised and disappointed that mainstream media did not cover the Abraham Accords um, the way they should have and how it was not picked up on by so many media sources here in the United States where people just glossed over it and did not pay enough attention to it at all and, and sh how she appreciates the ramifications on Iran and she looks at the big picture and she understands it, et cetera. And... I, you know, I started this discussion this morning about, you know, what the motivation is or what the, you know, what the the distraction is for mainstream media in terms of not covering this. It is, is it a, a continued despising of President Trump? Is it that there is just so much already going on in this country, which is overpowering so much dialogue that we'd like to have about international situations and relations? That, that precludes mainstream media from even touching it because, you know, half the country's on fire. I wonder if you have a take on it. Why do you think that mainstream media is not covering this the way they should? In my position, I, I, I talk with these journalists all day long. I mean, my WhatsApp is blowing up from, you know, the CNNs, the BBCs, to the AFPs, to the APs, to the Reuters of the world. And I think that I think they are covering it. The difference is they're covering it out of the foreign bureaus. And the reason for that is it really impacts the day-to-day -day level. It impacts Israelis, and it impacts the UAE most. So a lot of the coverage that you're reading, like the AFP stories, the AP stories, the CNN stories, for example, um, they're coming out of those bureaus because it impacts those people on a day-to-day -day level. To your point, we have so much going on right now in the United States. And in a funny way, where every story is kind of competing with itself. So because we have different mediums today, right? We have TV, we have radio, we have online, we have social media. Don't underestimate social media. I mean, there are journalists who break stories now on social media. Mm. I think a lot of it is happening on other platforms, and it's primarily being driven out of the foreign bureaus. There's just there's a limited amount of, of airtime. That's just the reality. Um, but what I can tell you is is that you know Oren Lieberman, he he did the story for CNN. He is based out of the Jerusalem bureau. So and and they did have. I mean, Caitlin was there, you know, at the White House the other day as well. Caitlin Collins. They definitely have people who are covering it, but it's gotten so much more coverage over there. And I think part of that is even strategically in the Gulf for both the two countries that signed, but even for the others who already have their eye on this and what's going to happen, there was a push to have more coverage out of those locations to see what the what would be the the um, sentiment from the people on the streets towards what happened. So I think the coverage is happening. It's just, it's not happening as much maybe out of the folks here. But if we take a step back, 
it's great that President Trump, you know, brought these brought everybody together, and, and that should not be discounted. But in terms of who it impacts on the day-to-day level, you know, you or I could go to Saudi Arabia. We could go to the UAE before. These Israelis who have never been able to do it on an Israeli passport, that's who it impacts directly. Or these Emirati business people who want to be able to travel for business or pleasure or stay at an Israeli hotel – that's the, those are the people who this literally impacts their day. Like, and, and I think that that's why they chose to drive it out of there. But make no, no – like there should not be any confusion on this one. I firmly believe that September 15th, 2020 is going to go down as a historic day in Washington, and it's going to be something that's written about in both Israeli textbooks. It's going to be written about in textbooks in the Gulf, not even just Emirati textbooks or Bahraini textbooks. But the Saudis are going – like this, this was a huge paradigm shift. And it's something that is is moving the Gulf forward uh, at a pace in which is appropriate for them, but it's it's going to help them on the global stage. It helps them with their relationships with with America. Everybody knows everybody knows that you know that that Trump is very very pro Israel. So the Gulf states know that if they do this, this is gonna this is gonna help them here as well. But the sentiment there is just incredible. I cannot tell you how many Mazel Tovs I I have gotten. <laughs> And, and Mabruks, which is the way of saying Mazel Tov in, in Arabic, right. um, how many of those I've gotten from clients and people who work in the Gulf to journalists, both those who are from the U.S. who now you know live there, as well as you know, nationals who are journalists. Everybody is really excited about this. And, and their governments have kind of sold this to them from the perspective of the economic benefits. And today's world, where COVID has really destroyed so many economies, imagine being a business owner and hearing, I'm now going to have access to a market that I never was able to talk with before. Right. And speaking again, of, to that, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, and with 30 seconds or less, speaking of markets that you've never had uh, you know, never been able to to tap into before. There was the announcement this morning, this crazy yeah. announcement that the that Emirates catering arm is setting up kosher food production facilities in the UAE. I mean, that means for for I mean, in real life, that means that people who are flying into the UAE can have kosher food there and back, and that there's going to be an OU certified kosher production plant. In an Arab country in the Gulf. I mean, in your life, did you think you were going to be able to make that announcement? That is completely that is completely wild. But right. <laughs> there's another added element to this that I think is worth noting. The UAE is really a hub for a lot of international travel that does stopovers and fuelings right. there. Right. So people stop there, let's say, when they go to India, when they go to Asia. So it's actually more than just the flight. Like, personally, I'm excited because I will finally now be able to have kosher food on the flight back to New York. Mm-hmm. But just imagine, like, I, I'm in the UAE airports, like, whether it's Dubai, Abu Dhabi, and I see tons of Chabad people, for example, like Shlichim, that are coming to and from India. Imagine now the opportunity, like, that – Imagine first flying 15 hours and then finding out, wait a second, I have another eight or nine. What am I going to do for food this whole time? This is a massive opportunity. Right. And if, you know, I'm sure many of your listeners are, you know, go to Israel. So many of us think, oh, 12 hours. If I could do 12 hours, I could do whatever. Let me tell you, those last three hours are really hard. So <laughs> um, what I'm telling you is, and it's not like the airports here where you could just go buy a bag of chips. You can't just buy a bag of chips or a chocolate bar or a Hershey's bar. You can't just buy that in the airport. So uh, it's, it's a really big opportunity for many of us who go to Saudi Arabia, there's very limited flights to, to the U.S. So often what it means is Saudi Arabia, you first fly three hours in the opposite direction to go to the UAE, and then you take 15 hours. So imagine being now 18 hours with, with no food, and that's a reality that many of us do encounter. So it's it's a tremendous opportunity for, for business travel, for, for leisure travel, 
I think some of these PESOF programs that go to Asia can now theoretically stop there, which brings down the costs in some cases. So there's an amazing opportunity here. Wow, that is unbelievable. I can't say that I thought about so many of those different things, but you're 100% right. And I do want to wish you Mabruk, and I do want to wish you a Mazel Tov, and I certainly want to wish you and everyone at Steinreich Communications continued Hatzlacha and a Shana Tovah to all of you. And Ariella, I thank you as always for for being such a friend to us here at the Nachum Siegel Network and such a personal friend. I, I, I appreciate our relationship in so many ways, and I certainly appreciate all of your insight this morning. Well, if I may, I just want to say, you know, a, a thank you to you, a Shana Tova to you, Nachum, to your families. And I, I just want to leave you with one quick thing. I, I happen to know for a fact that there are people in the Gulf who, who listen to you guys. Obviously, you had the interview earlier this week, but you should just know that people in the Gulf are listening to, to, to the Nachum Siegel Network, and you should take a lot of pride from that. And on behalf of the whole community, I'd like to thank you for the tremendous resource that you and Nachum provide to us every single day by telling us about the issues that impact and matter to us most. So well, thank you. Thank you. I very much appreciate that, and I will make sure to pass that along. And a Shana Tova to you, everyone at Steinreich. We send, out, we send you our best. Thank you. Shana Tova, everyone. Thanks, Ariella. The afternoon continues with a full day of programming. And as Nachum mentioned, I got like 30 seconds left to talk. I couldn't, I couldn't, I just, I love talking, Ariella. 30 seconds left. Don't forget, noon today, Avi Fryer, magic trick during the live lunch. The the access code on Zoom, 814-353-5064. Password is J-M-A-M. And then, of course, a full afternoon of programming continues. And then Nachum tomorrow morning, J-M in the A-M. Naomi after that. Avrami, Saturday Night Seagull. Matis. Oh, there's no Saturday Night Seagull this week. What was I saying? I'm just reading my script. That's hysterical. There's no Matis either because it's Rosh Hashanah. Everybody, Shana Tova. This is why I should stop talking. Folks, we're closing with Shlomo Katz's Vehakohanim. It's going to fade down at some point. And yes, I know it's a Yom Kippur song, but I love it anyway. Shana Tova. That's life, everybody. Bye, guys. Flee my plane, how you call him? 
Thank you. 
Thank you. 